Bad placement. Grammar, it's important. The difference between helping my Uncle Jack off his horse and my Uncle Jack off in his horse. Correct. Do you have the time to listen to me your audio back i i kept it i kept up the box to change it back when nice when we were ready autumn autumn gave me a guitar because she's like i thought i was gonna learn how to play guitar at some point but um i never did so you want a guitar and i was like all right Nice. And then and then she hands it to me. She's like, well, this used to be my grandfather's guitar. It's like, oh, great. Thanks. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Meaningful gift. I know. So now I, I feel obligated to play it. It's a little bit smaller than my guitar, and the action's not as high on the neck, so it feels a little, feels a little softer to play. Feel a little softer on my guitar. Abortions ain't cheap in the back of a car. Puppets there for a second. That's <laughs> 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 trying to follow the the bluesy riff up with the like ba doo doo. Yeah, well, well Pink well. Panther almost. Yes. Yes. Why not? I thought you were going to start playing some yes. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I knew some yes. That's about the only yes song I know. Hello, you beautiful people out there in podcast land. My name is Paul Workman. 
I'm Jonathan Pierce. I'm Zach McCoy. And we are your Oscar Grouches. Welcome back to the Oscars, the podcast where we discuss Oscar winners throughout history and try to determine where the Academy went wrong, if they went wrong. And what are we watching this week, Zach? We're watching a film called Splendor in the Grass, where we explore the dangers of holding the horny in. Mm. And is this the first time anybody has experienced the dangers of holding the horny in? I mean, watch this movie. Uh, oh, uh, yes, on the movie. Yes, on the movie. Uh, yes, for me as well. So that is Oscar Firsties. Oscar Firsties. Now, because of Zach's exhaustion, I want to go back and explore the first thing I said. <laughs> I don't know. Haven't we all? Isn't, I mean, this film talks about it. We'll, we'll get Indeed. there. I, um, if, if we get into that conversation, I, I, I got a story and a movie that goes along with it. So, okay. All right. All right. Well, um, before that, we're going to do an Oscar breakdown. Hey, best story and screenplay written directly for the story and screenplay. Yay. Um, is our category. I just keep adding words. Let's add. Oh, well, they, yeah, good. Uh, (laughs) Splendor in the grass wins, giving William Inga an Academy Award. William Inga beats out Ballad of the Soldier written by Valentin Yezhov. And Georgi Shukrai? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Uh, Le Dolce Vita, written by Federico Fellini, Tullio Pinelli, Inio Filanio, and Brunello Rondi. Uh, General Della Rovere, written by Sergio Midi, Diego Fabri, and Indro... Montanelli. Wow, this category says, let's today. challenge Paul. And no, no. love her come back. Written by Stanley Shapiro and Paul Henning. Uh, but that's not our only nomination tonight. Splendor in the Grass almost also nominated for Best Actress, giving Natalie Wood an Academy Award nomination. Mm. She loses to Sophia Loren for two women. Two of them. Two of them? Well, that's one mighty woman. Who... Uh, Audrey Hepburn's in the category for Breakfast at Tiffany's. Piper Laurie, recently deceased, R.I.P., wow. uh, for The Hustler, on a great yeah. film. Yes. And Geraldine Page for Summer and Smoke. But that's it. It's 50%er. Academy Award nominations, and I'll discuss a little bit more about what I think about that later. All right. Well, let's talk about this movie. Let us. This movie. It's boring as fuck. <laughs> fuck, I hated this movie. Mm. I'm sorry. I don't care if you guys even fucking like, you can't make and change my mind on this one. That's I fucking okay. hated this movie. It, it was the, the most modern looking movie and definitely uh, felt like, hey, welcome to the 60s. But uh, just fuck, it was boring. I could not care a good goddamn about a single fucking person that not one character did I go, I like you. Which, you know what? I don't think they were supposed to be, and that's fine. But I, I just, there were some issues in this film that easily could have been talked about much better than how it was done. And there was some just obviously, I don't want to say problematic because they were pointing out issues, but just in the most poorly done fashion. Uh, yeah, that's my initial take. I want to hear you guys, Zach. Yeah, for the, um, 
for the first 10 minutes, I was like, oh, shit, what is this movie? I'm not enjoying this. Like, especially when, as soon as they, like, cut in and their voices are overdubbed really badly, that waterfall scene was bad. I mean, I understand they probably had to uh, deal with the actual sound of the waterfall, and that's why they overdubbed everything. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, what is going on here? This is just awkward, but then it started kind of making sense. Um, Once... Dini started kind of losing it. I became more engrossed in the film just because I was like, where is this going? Uh, and I really, I really was there kind of with it more for the second act. The second act mostly held me. The third act was okay. Um, mixed, mixed feelings overall, though. I, I'll say that I liked it. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about what I like. And what I don't like. Mr. Workman. Sorry, my letterbox has been weird on my phone all day, so I had to sure. update this real quick. Sure. Um, I was in from the beginning. I fucking yeah, love this movie. It's so goddamn good. God, I was going to say it, but I'm like, no, <laughs> let him fucking do it. I'm not going to mock him. <laughs> it's It was real fucking good, and I loved it. And I thought it was an honest slice of life, and watching pretty much new Hollywood be born like mm. six years before Bonnie and Clyde. Holy shit. Yeah. I was, this uh, movie rules. I didn't realize until afterwards that this was Warren Beatty's first screen. Like his, he's a got first. a starring role in his film debut. Is it's pretty impressive. Yeah. It a, yeah. And it, yeah, I mean, he had been in some, some TV, but yeah, yeah this was, this was it. Yeah. I was a big Dobie Gillis fan. And I didn't realize Warren Beatty was on that. Uh, yeah, I thought um, it was well acted. Uh, Very well acted. Pat Hingle, is that the guy who played his dad? Yeah, Pat Hingle, uh, a.k.a. Commissioner Gordon from oh, yeah, 89 yeah, yeah. Batman. That's right. That's right. God, I kept, like, where do I know him? Yes, his voice and everything. Um, Yeah, so it it took me a while like I said, to kind of get into it. But I think the it's another one of those ones where we're watching these things chronologically as, as new, like you said, New Hollywood's being born. It's very kind of a fusion of the old and New Hollywood because it's got some of the feelings of Kazan's old, um, older work, but he's it's like it, in, injected with a little bit of that rebel without a cause feel. It and, very much feels like, and the music sounds like Sam Woods, uh, adaptation of our town. Okay. And it, and this film felt like, Hey, what if our town was fucking horny? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, a fan of that. The music was one of the biggest things to pull me out of this fucking movie. I loved it. It, uh, it sounded like it had no idea what it wanted to be. It what sounded it wanted like, to do. It sounded and, like it exactly. It knew exactly what it was doing uh, because it was taking a real old Hollywood like tones and motifs and putting them in this film where it's like, hey, you're not used to Hollywood being like this. No, mm. no I just. Uh, there were like examples like during the when his dad dies what the fuck was that jazz shit that they were playing at that moment it was jazz because they were in new york (sighs) it was just so weird and out of place and out of nowhere and 
And then Andy and Knapp would like... 1929, so jazz was really big in New York. They were in New York. But well, where was it the rest of the fucking movie? They weren't in New York. They, in they, the were, in, they were in Kansas. Kansas. No, jazz in Kansas. Not allowed. Not allowed. <laughs> Unless it's New Year's, but then you get in trouble. Um, No, I can... This is not a kind of movie that... I would recommend to many people unless I knew their taste would uh, uh, fit it. Um, Cause it is there. There's times when it's a little slow, but I, I think um, it had a lot of important things to say as far as like, I could see it being one of the um, kind of defining early films of the sixties and, you know, uh, sexual revolution and, and just talking about how bullshit it is to, uh, for example, like in the film where their Bud wants to marry Deanie and they're like, no, you got to go to college and go find yourself this uh, a floozy girl who's over, already spoiled. And, and just putting directly on screen just how ridiculous and uh, hateful that is to women um, that you got to either be perfectly unspoiled uh, you have to be infantilized, like her parents constantly calling her their girl and little girl, sweet girl, and yeah, and she never feels like she gets to be a woman, even like when she's fully grown, getting ready to get married. Her mom's still like, "Oh, don't hate me because I did my best as a mom. You're my little girl." Oh. I don't know. It's yeah. there are things that that are were important to be on screen in 1961, I think, and. Yeah, and I mean, like, and and the moms like talk with her in the beginning after she gets home from uh, almost having sex with Warren Beatty. Yeah, uh, Bud, and she, her mom's like, "Well, you know, boys won't respect you if you do that." And I, I only did it because I was married, and you have to when you're married. And women don't enjoy those things like men. And it's obviously like very pointed writing. Yeah, we'd be talking so forthright about sex at 1961 Hollywood. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. women shouldn't feel that way. Yeah. Is... but then like, I, don't know, I just feel like there were characters that felt like they were brought up and then just forgotten afterwards. Like the sister is a big one. Where oh. I mean, here she is getting you know raped, and but beats the shit out of the guy. Then when does she show up again? Like, they made a point of, like, bringing up this character. Like, she's the disappointing child. Blah, 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 blah. Like, yeah. Did you hear then, what happened to her? Apparently, I missed it. <laughs> it's she one of those died things. in a car accident. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, okay. So they that's killed her off. Show up later. They killed her off screen. But... So they killed her off screen. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, you know, but. And the, during the, a passage of time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the story's not so much, a, you know, it, she's, she's kind of a cautionary tale. Uh-huh. Like, hey, this. This can go a little too far. It's it's fine. Like exploring sexuality is one thing, but if you're going to be a flapper, you're going to die. <laughs> yeah. You have an abortion, you're going to shame your family, and then you got to die in a car accident. Right. The and the hypocrisy of yeah the mom like just spreading rumors, even like outright lying at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like first thing she did was ask about him. She cried. She cried. She cried. The dad looks over like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> I'll say I'll say that this film, like compared to um, 
on the waterfront or something just for just for comparison's sake. Uh, it feels a little more disjointed in its direction, and I suppose that could be intentional, you know, the whole new Hollywood movement and everything. But I feel like there were some scenes that, especially scenes with uh, Bud's sister, that, again, it might be intentional, but they were just so kind of... Um, that's what I'm looking for. They're so brash and like juxtaposed against the other scenes where they felt ragged or, and, and again, it could be intentional, but it took me out of it a little bit where I felt like maybe it could have been a better edited film, but that's, you know, I, I have faults more with the film more than the writing kind of thinking here as I sit here, but yeah, I, I think the writing's phenomenal. I, I think this is a real down-to-earth slice of life kind of film. And they don't... They they have a few a few over-the-top scenes, but I, I feel like when, when you're a teenager, your emotions are so huge. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, they're all you have that belongs to you. And they feel like the entire world. And so I, I, I like that you know, Natalie Wood really gets to just stretch her legs in this film. Mm-hmm. Oh, she stretches. She stretches hard. And I think she's amazing in this movie. And that's the thing. I don't think anybody in particular is, but I really think my issue is with this film is story and editing. I see yeah. it. Like, I, like I, I said, I, I, I was worried it was going to be boring as it was starting, but I, Something hooked me in, and um, what else did I have? Another note here. You know, there's some people criticize. I saw a review that was like, I can't believe that she would be institutionalized over a high school breakup, but it's so much more than the high school breakup. It's everything. Yeah, that, no, that's it, yeah. It's it, it's it's all the societal pressure to be to be the quote unquote nice girl that everybody keeps calling her, right? And everything that's piled on top of that, where it's like if you if you play by the rules and you're the nice girl, everything's going to happen for you, and then everything just fucking fell apart, right? So, what was it all for at, at that point? And if it was all for nothing, what's the point? Mm-hmm. And again, it's teenage emotions; they're not logical. Your hormones are shifting so fast, yeah, that it every every small drop in the bucket feels like the biggest thing that's ever happened in your life and a lot of times it's the first time it's happened and it feels like the end of the world right so she's uh institutionalized for two and a half years um bud finds a new partner and gets married and starts a family and she finds out towards the end and do we feel like uh she gets closure there and what 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 do you take from his character like do you think he seems happy or questions uh, things or does I it mean, matter? With <laughs> so with, we'll start with the first one, her getting closure. I, I feel like that's all she needed. She just needed to know that he, he was okay. Yeah. And that he was, he was going to be okay. And I think she got that, you know, when, she says thank you to his wife. I, I feel like it's this genuine moment of like, thank you. You've you've kind of you've you've put 
whatever it was back in the bottle and you have given me a great service by you know either a not not making me go back to my past or b for just letting me know that this person that I care for and that I wanted the best for is going to get that. Yeah. And for him, I think, I think he's found a life that's going to work for him. Yeah. Because in the face of all the tragedy, you know, they say his, his sister died in a car crash and his father jumps out of a window. The fact that he's able to do the thing that he just wanted to do in the first place with mm-hmm. someone he obviously cares for and has started a family with this person. It, he, I, I think if he's not truly, truly happy, it's just cause trauma's hard, man. Yeah. Like, no, that's not like the deepest statement I can give on it, but it is. Yeah. And he's been through a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's all very good points there. I think, um, I think yeah what you said about like when she meets his wife and the one thing that i'd criticize the film for or the writing for is that i don't know that we ever really get a sense of what uh dini wants out of life besides bud like i sort of get you know the way she gets dressed up and uh goes to see him that maybe she sees the life she he ha- has and she's like okay this is fine but maybe not what i would have wanted so that also kind of probably gives her some closure. Like, okay, he's doing this life and he's found somebody. All right. Uh, and, you know, they, they close with the Wordsworth poem and um, we will grieve not rather find strength in what remains behind. Um, I think you saying that we don't know what Deanie wants from life. I think the problem is that Deanie doesn't know what she wants from life because Deanie's only fed one one kind of life that she can have and that's to be somebody's wife. Yeah. And she thinks, she thinks she has that person. And again, it's all that societal pressure. I mean, it, it builds from, it builds from the first moments of the movie, the first moments that you, you meet her family and the way her mother talks to her. Like this is all this pressure where it's like, you know, you're, you're, you're just here to make a man happy. Mm-hmm. Like sex isn't something for you. Sex is something for your husband. Right. And the only thing you get out of it is children. And that's, <laughs> that's just, I mean, it's still the way some people think about women. It's right. Just <laughs> pointing the finger at society. Yeah. Somebody, um, I was talking to somebody, they're like, Oh, sounds like Kansas sucked to live in the 1920s. And we both kind of said at the same time, Kansas sucks to live in the 2020s. <laughs> Jonathan lives in uh, Kansas light. So he knows. Yeah, basically. <laughs> All right. Well, boys, do you got uh, any more notes for uh, the my, movie? My letterbox review on this. is I just snicker, saw it. <laughs> snicker, snicker. The waterfall has come. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> I, I honestly, I I loved that visual representation. They're sitting there making out in the car, and they just cut to the waterfall. I was like, okay, I get it, yeah. Ian. Really a good job. <laughs> yeah. Gross. Oh, I'm looking at the cast here, and I forgot Phyllis Diller was in this. Yeah, she was the nightclub 
That's uh, right. Host. Yeah. She, she was only in it for one scene, but she's yeah. Phyllis Diller. Yep. Yep. Um, no, I, I don't know. I thought I had a thought. It feels like it died. Yeah. No, I, um, I like films like this that explore the, uh, backwards nature of, um, the American Midwest and the heartland and all that. And the weird ways that religion and, um, conservative politics shape people. Uh, just the, the sad notion of career and duty over genuinely enjoying life. It's like none of these yeah. people. I mean, Dini's parents seem like, okay, maybe they, they're friends or something. But oh man, <laughs> when that title card popped up and it was like Kansas 1928. And then the parents are like, we got this stock in this company. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only one way that's going. Yeah. They lucked out by having to cash in early, but see, yeah. And that's where I thought that was going to be obvious where, you know, cause they had talked about later. It was like when they had said, what, well, there's nothing wrong with her, despite the fact that she's poor. Like, what? All right, so you guys are going to be poor later. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thanks for the foreshadowing. I don't know if it was intentional, <laughs> but all right. I, it all was. <laughs> it all very much was. And, and I, I think, like, as the conveyance of tragedy continues on in the movie, it's one of those things that you're just waiting for. It. Yeah. You're, like, they... They had the New Year's party, so you watch it tick over in 1929. It's like, okay, so we are we are doing this. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Paul. Yes. Film archives. All right. So the National Film Registry. Do we think this is in? And what year do we think it got in? If we think it got it. I don't think it did. I'm going to say no. And you would both be correct. Okay. It is not in. Uh, I think it should be, but... That's the case for it. Uh, you know, there's some other stuff that gets in next year where I was like, if that's in, this could be in. But uh, other films from the year that are in, Breakfast at Tiffany's, uh, Flower Drum Song, The Hustler, mm-hmm. uh, Judgment at Nuremberg... Our best oh. picture winner, West Side Story, and uh, one of my favorite plays slash films of the era of all time, really, A Raisin in the Sun. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. It's a good class. It is a good class, Raisin in the Sun, which should be over in the best screenplay based on material from another medium category and is not. That's ridiculous. Wholeheartedly agree. Who earns? Yeah. I was saying two words. <laughs> so, uh, Judgment at Nuremberg and Raising the Sun are both movies that I've uh, picked up physical copies after watching through the Best Picture podcast. Nice. Um, they're they're amazing films. Love it. Indeed. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's get into our worst two judgments. I watched a. Uh, Facebook reel the other day where they showed an entire episode of Night Court, the old one, and huh. I just sat there and laughed my ass off the entire time. That show that's, was so good. That's just, a good show. It's so good. Did, where they're like R.I.P. Richard Mole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
it was like the episode where they had to like <laughs> they had like a bet with like this Texas company man to get all 207 cases in before midnight or so that he would pay for the nuns to keep their church. And it's, it's just still ridiculous. And like at one point you see, it's like they, they come in from the, uh, from commercials and he's yelling at a guy. He's like, this will teach you to stop waving when you're in a vehicle that is driving down the road. And they turn and there's the fucking Pope. <laughs> like <laughs> the fuck. Amazing. All right. Well, Zach, Question number one. Hi. Does this movie deserve best original screenplay? Okay, so I have only seen one film in this category, and I bet Paul can guess what it is. It's La Dolce Vita. <laughs> yes, which I love more as a film, but really, I, I don't know. It's got that much of a screenplay. The, it's more of a vibe than it is a story. There's not. I, I, I wouldn't give that uh, screenplay, so... I'm going to say yes. I think it deserves best original screenplay. What do you uh, What do you right? think, Jonathan? Um, give me one second here. I know Paul ran him down, but let me give a quick look here. The Ballad of the Soldier was that one? On? Yeah, Ballad and of the Soldier. Dolce Vita. Lover General Della Ravery. Dolce Vita is a good one to jerk off to. <clears throat> All right. She says from I'm, experience. I'm, which one? <laughs> Dolce Vita? Yee! Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, so I'm going to say no. I don't think this movie deserves best original screenplay. I think a lot of the issues I had were with the story. And uh, I would probably give it to the movie that you can jerk off to. Because <laughs> I couldn't jerk off once during this movie. And that's just a couple of points off in my book. Yeah. Paul. Yes. Does this movie deserve best original screenplay? You know, this is such an honest look at small town life. It is such an honest look at teenage sexuality. And to think that we're still kind of hanging on to the the Hayes Code at this point. And we get this film. I think it's such an incredible step forward. I think we're doing big things here. I think William Inga's dialogue is crisp and grounded. And I, I think this screenplay is impeccable. Mm. Uh, I think it's, it's characters you really get to know and you, you, you don't, really know how to feel about them and i like that that kind of insecurity as a viewer that that not knowing what's coming next and i think i think william inga deserved this award 120 percent. all right well zach is this the worst best original screenplay before i before i um give my answer there i was just going to say that i uh sadly wasn't super familiar with William Inga. Um, but I'm looking at him now, you know, he was born in Kansas and, um, big Broadway star and he got a Pulitzer prize and he was known as the, um, playwright of the Midwest. And he was born in, yeah, I think I said he's born in Kansas. Yeah, so that, he, cool. he based a lot of these characters off people he actually knew. So that's, that gives it, uh, you know, all the more feel. There's a, 
reminds me a little bit of a film that we'll probably talk about here in a little bit, like last picture show type stuff. So, yeah. Um, is it the worst? It is not. I gave it four stars just because I, I enjoyed it, but I, there were some things I didn't love about it, which will put it at my number 10 in between the Lavender Hill mob and the great McGinty. So that's where it is for me. All right. What do you think? This is the worst. I'm sorry. It's the worst. This is my worst. Asterisk, my worst. Mm-hmm. I still have two films to catch up on. Mm-hmm. But uh, as of right now, I, I, I could not stand this movie. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine you would ever rewatch it. So that would. No, no. I have no intention to do so. I just, like I said, I was bored. I didn't care. And uh, yeah, maybe I'm just a. Uh, I'm just a dick. <laughs> well, that's true, but there has yeah. to be another reason. Possibly. Super dick. <laughs> Super dick. Paul. Yes. Was this the worst? Absolutely not. This five star masterpiece that is never boring. Um, I put it at my number eight, right above the defiant ones and right under Marie Louise. I Honestly, I don't think there's anything wrong with this movie. I think the editing is jarring for a reason. I think mm-hmm. that we move in and out of so much because that's how life feels sometimes is wake up one day and everything's just changed and you don't remember how you got there sometimes. I think we see what's important and there's no chuff. No chuff. Fair enough. I will say the movie did not feel like there was any filler. Like I, I, I do feel was exactly as long as it was intended to be. So, yeah, it's it's one of those films. There's like these are these are the important markers of these people's lives. Yeah. If you don't see it, it means everything's just moving at the clip it's supposed to. Yeah, and and uh, Mick Foley on his podcast Foley is Pod continuously uh, will be asked about things that happened in his career. They're like, hey, do you remember this match that happened on Raw on like September 7th in 1997? He's like, honestly, no, because I showed up to work that day and I did a match. Yeah. And uh, I and they'll give him like it was a three star match, according to this reviewer. He's like, yeah, I think it was sure. I guess it was three stars. But uh, <laughs> he's like every uh, every baseball player. I'm sure if you ask them about their at-bats, they're going to remember every time they struck, like every big strikeout they had and every big home run they had. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to be able to tell you about every single up the middle they hit. Right. Yeah. Like you got on base, you did something good. So th- that's how I feel about this film. Like you're going to see all the strikeouts and you're going to see all the big home runs, but they're just like, all right, you know, we don't, we don't need to see every walk and single up the middle. Their their yeah. lives are if you don't see it, their lives are going just fine from here to here. Fair enough. All right. Well, I think that is where we are going to call it today. My name is Jonathan Pierce. You can find me on the Twitter, Twitch, TikToks, and on the letterbox at all torn underscore Occam. I didn't watch shit this week. Nice. Sorry. Wanted to. <laughs> just didn't. It happens, man. <laughs> it does, but we catch back up on some more twenty twenty three this week, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And uh, Zach, where can we find you? Find me on Critiker, Zach Master, X A K K M A S T E R, TikTok, House Havoc, Letterbox, 
by searching my name. I don't think I watched anything new this week either. I, uh, yeah. No. Well, the kids started watching Adventure Time, which I'm happy about. So, like, I'll be down in the uh, bedroom or getting ready for bed, and all of a sudden I hear, and the kids yelling all together. I'm like, okay, great. It's instilled. So, Mr. Workman. Yes. Where can we find you? Uh, Anywhere. Maybe somewhere. Somewhere. Uh, I'm I'm on Instagram still, and I'm on uh, Letterboxd at Father of the Fear. Mm Mm-hmm. You look me up by name, I'm sure. Um, and I watched three new movies oh. this week, all 2023 films. Nice. Uh, Joseph and I went to go see What Happens Later at the movie theaters, a new uh, holiday romantic comedy starring Meg Ryan and David Duchovny. Or as my friend Judah once told me, he thought his name was David Duchovny. Nice. <laughs> um. I thought this was a sweet film. It's very flawed and its pacing is really weird. And it's, and there's really only two characters on screen the whole time. And that's Meg Ryan and Dave, the company. There's a third ish character of the PA, the airport PA announcer who is kind of this weird omnipotent character. And, uh, honestly it, it's, it's a sweet film. It's about, uh, fate and chance and how people and um, people and trauma shape the people we become mm. and the regrets that we have late in life. And uh, because I'm an, I'm becoming an old man with a lot of regret in my life. This movie hit me fairly hard and, uh, be- and I just don't think Joe's, you know, he definitely hasn't had the, the experiences that I have. And I'm not sure uh, what his relationships have been like in his life that he's been able to regret the way I have. Mm. So had a nice, long, weird conversation about past relationships with my wife after this movie <laughs> and how how this movie put me in a really weird mental state. Um, okay. Yeah, there there are things that happen in this movie that echo some things that happened in my life and uh kind of fucked me up Mm. i liked it good well uh (laughs) good and yes (laughs) hey i go to yeah i go to movies to feel things and this movie made me feel things so i i gotta call that a positive Mm -hmm. um even even if i'm all weird about it uh i watched the new hulu original film quiz lady starring aquafina and sandra oh that one's on my list my god sandra oh is so fucking fine in this movie Mm. it is ridiculous how hot that woman is that's fair um also maybe my favorite will ferrell performance ever wow okay okay i mean I'm not a giant Will Ferrell fan. Yeah, it's it's not exactly yeah. a really high bar, but I mean, there he has are, like, it's hard to beat the producers though. The producers, I I don't even think so. My top ten of his my favorite wow. performances okay. of his, just because I'm sorry, I don't think he's Kenneth Mars is so good. 
I need to save all my thoughts on that because we will be talking about yep. that film really yep. soon. Yep. But Kenneth, Kenneth Mars is so good in the original that I barely even look at, I don't think Will Ferrell in that movie. <laughs> we'll get there. Yep. Um, but it's like, it's like Lord Business. I really liked him in Barbie. I love Stranger Than Fiction. Sure. Um, uh, Everything Must Go, he's really good in. I like him in the Austin Powers movies. <laughs> he's so funny. Yeah. Um, But he's weirdly endearing in this film. And Aquafina is just Aquafina. She's great. Yes. I love her. Uh, I know a lot of white people don't like her. Do not understand. I don't either. Um, I like this movie a lot. Uh, take that with whatever, however many grains of salt you want to. Uh, don't take this next opinion with any grains of salt because it's the honest truth. The Paw Patrol, the mighty movie, is one of the best films of the year. And I won't hear anybody say differently. Uh, Paw Patrol is better than Bluey. That's just Go a fact. fuck right off. No, nope, it sure is. <laughs> Sorry, no, just no, absolutely fucking not. You take in, that back. In, and in I have school nothing against preschool Paw aimed preschool aimed dog media. Paw Patrol is the greatest, and Bluey uh, is like number five or six after Paw Patrol three more times. Just so fucking wrong. Like I, <laughs> you see, I there, there's things wrong. that sometimes Paul says that I don't know if he's trying to egg people into an <laughs> argument and then i don't like confrontation so i'm just i nod and smile <laughs> you know what that's fair and that's understandable but just know that bluey is media perfection well we've had a off uh different uh conversation i don't think jonathan was privy to about bluey, oh how so. much i hate bluey adults <laughs> People who only post online about Bluey as if Paw Patrol doesn't exist. And, I, and I'm not that guy. I, I am just an avid fan of Bluey. And that's why I be a fan like of Bluey. It, it, it hits every, just checks every box that a children's show should be that you can sit there with your kid and enjoy as well. And then Paw Patrol does it all better. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Paw Patrol's had an episode about abortion or whatever the fuck Bluey's doing. She yeah. didn't have a fucking abortion. It was the episode I just watched it today where the the sister couldn't come. She doesn't come because she can't have kids. And it was sad. And fuck yourself. <laughs> exactly. So she threw herself down some stairs, had an abortion. Now she can't have kids. She had an abortion. <laughs> Is this loss? <laughs> anyway. So the Paw Patrol, the Mighty Movie. Uh, I keep saying the Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol, the Mighty Movie, rules. Uh, they they focus on Sky in this one. The first the first Paw Patrol movie, they focus mostly on Chase, which is fine. Chase, not my favorite dog. I love Sky. Next movie, I need a Rubble movie. Rubble mm. is the dude, the best dude. Um, and it was it was sweet. It was a sweet movie about underestimating the smallest person on the crew and how, how feeling othered and less than can really affect the way that, uh, you save adventure city. Yeah. So yeah. I do, I do have a soft spot for Paw Patrol. My kids grew up with it. They passed on a lot of toys to uh, my niece uh, who 
who went and saw the movie in theaters. It was her first theater movie. Um, I just have one quick question. Has Chase ever actually stood up and made a statement against police brutality? Unfortunately not. That's one thing I'll always hold against Paw Patrol. Yeah, but Paw Patrol is not copaganda. You're right. Paw Patrol is 100% copaganda. It is sure not. (laughs) You're you're a delusional liar if you think that. Chase doesn't go around trying to put people in prison. He, he, He serves and protects like a police officer should. He is the utopian version of a police officer, and we need to respect him for that. I will A-cab Paw Patrol all day. <laughs> you can A-cab Paw Patrol. It's still better than Bluey. Hey, Zach, what are we fucking watching next week? Uh, this uh, reminded me, I did actually watch a movie this week when Paul was talking about uh, uh, real life and p- echoing pain. I, I watched mid, uh, finished watching Midsommar. Uh, I thought it was fine. It was good. enjoyed it mostly. But there was a lot of shit in there that um, was painful and reminded me of my homeland of Norway. Anyway, so next we are watching <laughs> Divorce Italian Style, which you can find on HBO Max or Amazon currently. Interesting things <laughs> to say about that movie even before I watch it, but I won't say it now. I'll say it next week. Yay. All right, then. With that, we'd like to thank Tram. From our sister podcast, Leveling Up with Benjamin Banks. Benjamin Banks posting all sorts of stuff from NecoCon this week. Mm, thirst looking traps. Like having, yeah, looking like he's having a good time. Mm. Uh, and of course, Travis produces our show. We'd like to thank Chad Ramsey for our most excellent theme song. We'd like to thank Megan and Jay Bellevue for our beautiful artwork. You follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Pod and on Facebook at The Oscarsky Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Or not Stitcher. I did. Oh, yeah. Man, I just, yeah, I just went into autopilot. It just flows so well, so natural. Yeah, yep. five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can apparently leave comments on Spotify. I'm going to look to see if we have any of those before next week. Oh. And that all really helps us out to be seen in the almighty algorithm. Almighty algorithm. Almighty algorithm, five stars. Stock market crash, fall out the window. Don't get an abortion unless you want one, and that's perfectly fine. But this movie's tried to say it wasn't, and that's fucked up. You should get an abortion just because you don't want one. Yeah. Uh, sure. This will be super <laughs> late, but uh, by the time vote, Monty Mason tried to give me an abortion, and Danny Dick shot him. <laughs> Topical. Uh, we'll see beautiful. who wins. Beautiful. Yeah, we'll find that out tomorrow. The time of this recording. Uh, bye. So, for Jonathan and Zach and Ryder and his team of pups for being better than Blue, we like for you all to have a damn fun day.